Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle podcast. Today, we are getting into some of the details around jobs and heavy industry in Newcastle. And I'm joined by Craig Carmody, the CEO of the Port of Newcastle. Welcome. Thank you. And very interestingly, well, I'm also joined by Warwick Jordan, Hunter Jobs Alliance Coordinator. And he's going to talk to us about how we ensure jobs in the Hunter in the future. But firstly, over to you, Craig. The Port of Newcastle. We all know it. We all live near it. We know it's extremely important to not only our identity, jobs in the city, the national economy, the international economy. Where do you see the Port of Newcastle going in the future? Well, first of all, where we're at at the moment, a lot of people don't actually know. As you say, we live around the port, we live in the port. But the port is actually the third largest port in Australia. We do about 4,400 vessel movements a year and, and generate around about $15 or $1.5 billion to the GDP. So that's what we are today. And so just to clarify, yeah. $1.5 billion gross domestic product yeah. for the country. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. That's massive. It is not a bad starting point, is it? Yeah. You're talking about the 4,500 ship movements. Mm-hmm. That's 50% capacity. That's right, it, and that's the that's where our greatest opportunities are. So, the channel is only at fifty percent utilisation. So, essentially, we can do ten thousand ships a year. We, as I said, we do about forty four hundred. So, unlike a lot of other ports in Australia, we one they're not land constrained. The, the port that you all see from the foreshore and that it's actually seven hundred and seventy seven hectares. That, that's what we actually hold. Three hundred and eighty eight hectares of that is empty. Wow. It's vacant at the moment. So we have this incredible amount of land. We have a channel that's only half used, to put it in those terms. And so all these ambitious plans that we have, this diversification strategy that you've heard us talk about for the last three years, where we're lucky is we can just grow into it. Yeah. We don't have to do too much capital dredging. We don't have to go buy land. We don't have to try and deal with urban encroachment. And then, of course, the final thing, which I know you're very familiar with, Lord Mayor, of all our trade is done by train. Yes. And that is something that no other port can offer. And as long as we remain rail heavy, the the opportunities for us to just grow are pretty much unlimited. It's it's really just finding the business. That rail connectivity cannot be understated and I think I've bored people for a long time in my role not only as Lord Mayor but prior to that talking about freight rail bypasses and the like I know it's a very dry topic but you can't underestimate not only the livability that also is given to local port communities but also that 24-7 operation of a port that has already a huge economic benefit to the country and to the region but that could easily be doubled. That's right. And I know, you know, and, and this city has been at the forefront for a long time about sustainability and, and climate change. The other thing we have to keep in mind is because we're such a rail-heavy port, every time that we shift away from, from rail, it will most likely be heavy trucks. And here we are trying to reduce emissions. You know, the port's on this absolute 
I was about to say jihad, but we are on decarbonising our operations, making our business much more sustainable and resilient. We don't want things on trucks, right? Trucks are are an emitter. Mm. Trains are a much more efficient and green way of moving products. We start from that natural advantage. Why would we want to go backwards? Absolutely. I uh, see so much opportunity, like a lot of Novocastrians, but this is a good opportunity. We can get into some of the details of what is happening or the plans around the Port of Newcastle into a little bit more detail because people talk about diversity and, you know, I do it, Warwick does it. But what does that mean? At the moment, everybody knows that the predominant export out of our harbour and the port is coal. But what are the other exports and how do we grow the other exports? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, the world knows this is the world's largest exporting coal port. Not so well known in Australia, but overseas, everybody knows what we are. So our, our diversification strategy has made a commitment that 50% of our revenue will be from non-coal-related activities by 2030. And so that's 50% non-coal-related yep. by 2030. That's a, a serious commitment to the future sustainability of not only port operations, but Newcastle, the Hunter, the region, the national economy. I think that sometimes goes unnoticed, particularly you know when we are talking about Glasgow and climate change and real action on climate change. I think that needs to be commended. There's two streams here. So first, to answer your question before, we do 25 other types of products at the port, but 98% of our volume is coal at the moment. So the first step we've had to do the port's infrastructure hasn't really been invested in for quite a while. So you, you'll see in our diversification plan, we talk about improving the efficiency of our current operations and creating new opportunities. So you, you, some of, well, hopefully most of the city would have seen the ship unloader arrive back in May. So that ship unloader, we, we had ship unloaders previously, um, much, you know, they were built in the 1950s. So we've got rid of them, we're putting in this modern ship unloader. We're doing the same, we're bringing mobile harbour cranes over at Mayfield, and what we're doing at the moment is, the immediate actions we could take was to improve the efficiency and productivity of our existing infrastructure, supporting those businesses that already operate in the port. The next step is to grow or significantly improve the businesses. So over at Walsh Point, which is now what we designate as the bulk precinct, after the ship unloader, we'll put in conveyors and then we'll start putting in storage sheds. The idea is is that ultimately we'll unload a ship from about 200 tonne an hour to 1,200 tonne an hour. It'll allow people to store for, store stuff on our port for a much longer so they can put products into the Asian market on a, on a more spot market rather than these just long-term contracts. And what would be an example of that type of product? That's six times faster. Yeah. Mm. Well, so over at K2, K3, so over those two berths at Walsh Point that we currently use, they're our most utilised berths. And unlike a lot of ports in Australia, so what you usually find is for efficiency's sake, you'll have one type of product going across a berth. In the port of Newcastle, at that K2, K3 berth over at Walsh Point, we have up to 10 different products going across that berth. So we'll have grains, we'll have fertiliser, we'll have soy, you name it, we pretty much magnetite. We will push it back and forth across the berth. Now, that means our environmental protections, our handling procedures have to be pretty spot on. As you can imagine, you're constantly changing products. But the wonderful thing about the Port of Newcastle is 
we've actually always been able to do it. Between having the two most efficient coal terminals in the world, you also have these other incredible operations just quietly going on, and they have been going on at the port for a long time. So we have this foundation, we have this reputation, particularly in Asia, for being efficient and reliable, like clockwork as far as loading and turning around vessels. What we need to do is using that reputation to start building our new opportunities. Now, everybody knows about the container terminal and what we want to try and do there, and we're hoping that some changes recently in Sydney will give us a um, much clearer path to that. But hydrogen at the moment, and I know every man and their dog is talking about hydrogen, but... To be we, fair, we've been talking about it for a while here yeah. in Newcastle. <laughs> so we're not, we're not late on the hydrogen bandwagon. It's just trying to make sure that we're still in that mix sometimes in Newcastle. That's a phenomenal amount of diversity that already exists that you can grow from really in those descriptions of all the different products that are you know, currently sharing those births. And it is good to know and it's good to hear and it's probably good for people listening to you to understand how important that reputation of the Newcastle workforce and the operations of the port are in export markets. They're very important export markets that create opportunities for people here in Newcastle and Australia. And I would put that down to some good working conditions. Mm-hmm. And, and seriously, the union movement here in Newcastle and the Hunter have been at the forefront of not only championing uh, safety going back you know, from the early days to making sure that these types of jobs that give us this reputation overseas particularly in heavy industry, that reputation is predicated on the very hard work of a lot of local Novocastrians decade after decade, which is a good segue into being able to introduce Warwick Jordan, who is coordinating the Hunter Jobs Alliance. Your Newcastle is changing daily and we care about you. Have your say at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. Some of us in the know in Newcastle and the Hunter understand the Hunter Jobs Alliance vision and as you know we at the City of Newcastle are very supportive. Also you were recently recipients of a a grant program uh, of ours which I think is fantastic particularly around community engagement but just give me uh, and the listeners a little bit of a rundown of what the Hunter Jobs Alliance is. Yeah look the Hunter Jobs Alliance came about a couple of years ago from a couple of conversations. So one was from some of our union affiliates, particularly uh, the Manufacturing Workers Union, the ETU, who spent a bit of time going out and talking to their members in aluminium smelting, power stations, coal supply chain, and just asking a a basic question is, can you guys see the world changing and and are you concerned about it? And the, the feedback that came back was, Yes, we can see things are changing around energy or potentially around coal exports and what have you, but we're not confident that there is much in the way of a coherent response to help us through that. And if you guys are taking this seriously, then go and show us what it looks like. And so that was the starting point of a conversation and 
there was some useful engagement and conversations between unions and also some environmental groups as well who have a real local focus saying, look, you know, we know what the conversation has been publicly and how it's been very polarised and, you know, looked from both points of view, that makes it really hard to get anything done in the region's interest. So let's see if there's a conversation to be had and then as it turned out, there was a real opportunity to identify some common ground and say, look, what's in the the interest in the environment, what's in the interest of workers, a lot of times is going to be the same thing. So let's see what we can do to try and lead a conversation differently in the region and that's how the Jobs Alliance came about. It has been needed for a long time and it's probably one of the one things that has been missing, I think, in the Hunter and Newcastle, really having a coherent response from the bottom up, from the workers that are technically at the coalface of this economic transition that is already under underway. And it's wonderful to see some of the international changes in the last 12 months that has allowed us to have a more open conversation about making sure these workforces and these jobs, these high quality jobs are protected into the future. And that's where the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, really comes to the fore, I think, around the port, around the skill set that is very well articulated by Craig and very well recognised overseas. That skill set in manufacturing, in supply chain management, already exists here in Newcastle and the Hunter. And gee, you've been fighting hard to be able to balance the ledger in terms of exports and imports coming into the port. And it's almost a battle that I think people will reflect on and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe we had to fight so hard to allow imports into one of the most highly functional ports with one of the the best, most skilled workforces in the country, it shouldn't have been and it shouldn't be this hard to allow those imports to balance that ledger that creates economic prosperity for future generations. This is one of the challenges. So only yesterday we had the trade commissioners. We had the trade commissioner for South Korea and Japan, Australian, the New South Wales trade commissioner in, in the port. Now, we're, the way we're looking at it now is the port has always just been this quiet achiever. Um, you know, you go back to the BHP days, most people didn't know it was the centre of steel making in the world for quite a while. The city went through that experience. Then, then we've got coal. But the truth is, it means that we've got decades of a reliable reputation. So we had the Trade Commissioner here yesterday, and I you know, must give a call out to the Hunter Business Chamber for organising that. But we took them up and we showed them the port because we've never really sought to sell that reputation. And we have to. We, in some ways, have to monetize it because, you know, we started conversations with Japan about hydrogen. We, we did this whole sing and song and dance about, oh, this is what we do. And they went, you don't have to tell us. We've been getting coal from Newcastle for decades. We know who you are. Yeah. Just to be clear to everyone listening, Japan is our number largest one customer. number one customer in terms of coal exports from Newcastle. And I find it sometimes interesting when you go around Newcastle, people don't realise that that's our major trade partner. Well, everybody, I know everybody's mm. focused on China, right? Mm. We, we lost China on the 1st of December last year. They were our third largest customer. Mm-hmm. Now, the wonderful thing is, and, and you know, this is where the resilience of the city, but why we have to get this right going forward. We lost our third largest export market on the 1st of December last year. It hasn't come back. I'm not even going to predict if it will. Within two weeks, we were able to absorb that because India and 
in Indonesia and Taiwan and all these other places took up the coal that that China then sucked out of the market from elsewhere. Now, that was a wonderful experience in some ways because it showed the resilience of the city and the business. It also shows demand. Yes. And um, we can't deal with the global issues that confront us around fossil fuels and climate change when we don't, when we don't have a global plan for that demand. That's right. And, and, you know, you watch what's going on with COP. Look, some, some of those who do follow the fortunes of the port, you will have seen last year we lost a major Australian bank in our, in our debt syndicate. They walked away because they said, no, you're, you're too exposed to fossil fuel. That was not a great day at the port, it must be said. We, we got that refinancing done. It was much harder than it should have been. And I'll be quite candid. I thought we'd have until about 2023. The fact that it happened to us in 2020 caught me caught us by surprise we got through it but gee it taught us a lesson right that the world is making decisions all these financiers are making decisions these conversations at cop have been coming for a while as soon as biden won yeah that was the moment that the world was about to start dealing with climate change it should have done it years ago but as that was the moment as soon as that election was done it was going to allow well, the Western world to start to move on and move fast, it did. So, And, and this comes, I think, to the, the core point. The, you know, the pace of change, you know, in some ways, is becoming frightening. It's also very unpredictable as well. And you know, coming at it from the point of view of security of livelihoods for people and security for the community, you know, the, the number one thing really is making sure that people can feel confident and feel that whatever the circumstances are going to be, they're going to be supported. But look, honestly, we, you know, part of our role is to get around and talk to people about what the show looks like and what the world looks like. And we get surprised by things that come up and, and the pace of change. And so it is... You know, it is a really challenging situation because, as you guys know, it you know at the moment coal prices through the roof, tight labour markets up the valley, all of those things, and trying to have a conversation with people about let's keep an eye on what's coming down the line in 10, 15, 20 years because we know it takes a long time to get organised to make use of those advantages that Craig was talking about, and and you've got to keep an eye on that unpredictability and you've got to be setting up and capacity building and doing all the things now because we might we might keep tip, ticking along in a particular way but also you have those unpredictable events that you need to keep an eye out for and be ready for and I think part of our job is making sure that we're talking about that and setting ourselves up to be ready. One of those really important components that you're doing particularly with our community grant sponsorship is that community engagement piece and I think that you will see uh, when you go out to the community because I am discussing many different issues on many different days but you will see that that tide has turned many years ago. And from from my view, being in a leadership role in local government, looking at uh, our community across Newcastle and the Hunter, and also that national uh, discourse, really the changes that are going to happen have one of the largest impacts on our population here. That's right. And that's why we all need to be very clear and very united on that pathway out. And what always concerns me as is the fear campaigns have been able to cut through because they're simple, they create fear, there's a fair amount of misinformation involved because it, these are com- complex issues. Whenever you have a complex issue, the easiest way to push it off to the sideline or not allow people to deal with it is create fear. 
and that that message has been so loud for so many years i think it's about time we understood that the population do understand and want to have that conversation we all know that this is not going to change overnight but we want to plan for the children that are at school now in Newcastle and the Hunter region around what job prospects, high quality job prospects in all different types of labour markets are available to them. If I may, I mean, just picking up on what Warwick said and what you just said, Lord Mayor. So, and you know, I know it sounds like a pattern at times, but at the port we banned the word transition, right? We talk diversification. And, mm. and the reason why we say that is we are not, for a moment at the port saying we can move from 165 million tonne of coal a year to something else overnight. You're kidding yourself if you think that's going to happen. First of all, as you said, demand in Asia is through the roof and for a whole bunch of reasons, as you said, Warwick. So we've always talked diversification. Now, we have the luxury in this place that unlike previous evolutions in technology where wind was replaced by steam or whatever, this is a much longer lead time because it's a decision made to do this. It's not that we suddenly discovered steam was more efficient than wind. So we've got a long lead time to get ready. We have the luxury in this place that we've probably got 10 or 15 years, assuming governments really don't change their policies, for coal to live. We've got 15 years of a platform to pay for everything else we want to do. We can literally alongside, concurrently alongside, start doing hydrogen. We can do container terminals. I mean, Warwick can speak chapter and verse about we don't want to go steel, coal, hydrogen, (laughs) right? I mean, have we learnt nothing? We want to be as diversified as we can so people can have all sorts of jobs as these things decline. So it's not transition. Transition suggests that people are being left behind. Let's build it while we can afford to build it, not in a crisis. And that's literally what we try and do every day down at the port. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And there has been, you know, a lot of emphasis put on different words to describe very similar things. And I'm not going to necessarily weigh into that debate. I'm just very outcomes focused. And the 15 years you describe, we're already probably 15 years into a 30-year diversification, whatever you want to call it. And for me, we've lost 15 years. But glass half full, we still have 15 years. But what we're talking about and what the port wants to do and what Warwick and the Hunter Jobs Alliance want to do, we we need to start yesterday. And there are so many roadblocks from state or federal government that are in the way. I find that extremely frustrating, but also a good opportunity for us to have these conversations and actually take that leadership to a state and national level and say to them, get out of our way. We have an amazing port. We have an amazing workforce and we have a plan for the future. That's absolutely right. And I'm not sure what you guys make of this, but, you know, we've sort of been caught in this spin cycle where it's, you know, the Hunters some kind of political theme park that's this sort of abstract idea that we argue about, right? And look, we do it in the region, but, but, you know, it comes a lot from outside as well. But you look at the, the, the scale of the challenge, you know, Firstly, sort of bending the arc of diversification and economic change in a region in a way that supports the well-being of the community, firstly, is a really hard thing to do. And, and so that's a challenge we have, you know, we have lost that time and we're at an inflection point historically for the hunter because the advantages that we've had over the last 
couple of hundred years essentially have been driven by the natural resource advantages that we have. Now we're fortunate that we've developed all these other competitive advantages. It's our skills, it's our innovators, it's our infrastructure. But then we're also competing against a lot of other regions that are similarly situated as well. And and the job really is is to get on with it from, from here. And Australia is not historically very good at supporting regions through change. We have a sort of political economy that's not that suitable to that. So we need to change that and, and we need to do it by showing that this region wants to do that and wants to, to change because we know what the tools are, but we do have to get on with it. I agree. It's your Newcastle. Access all our services and resources at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. Well, it's scary when you think about, everybody likes to talk about STEM, but let's just look at that one area alone. So up at Williamtown, STEM jobs in the future, right? What, what they're doing with the Joint Strike Fighter and all the other opportunities up at the aerospace area. So that's STEM. If we get our way and we have all this automation and, and all these different wonderful pieces of kit at the port, most of the jobs are going to have to have a STEM type of background, particularly mechanical, electrical, engineering, programming, that sort of stuff. So it will take us four years to build a container terminal. So really... For the type of workforce that we would need at the port or Williamtown would need in four years' time, the kids in Year 12 this year have to decide to go into that course, into that degree. Well, are they? So let's assume nothing changes and we have the same sort of pickup. We'll have a year or two gap between when things come online and when our workforce is ready. Now, yeah, I think the world is changing because of COVID and we can probably attract, well, we are seeing it. We advertise a job now at the port the candidates that we get are amazing but there's still that two-year gap and yeah we can fill it with people from sydney or wherever but it's what you said warwick first and foremost we should be creating the opportunities for our for our kids and for the generations that are coming and that alone is a big change for the hunter Uh, and i think this comes down to that you know there really is a core coordination issue that's required like i I'm constantly surprised by how many amazing people and institutions and organisations we have. You know, any problem you have, we have people who can solve that problem. But the issue really is pulling it all together. And I think the situation you're talking about with the container terminal, it's the same for hydrogen, it's the same for battery manufacturing, it's the same for offshore wind, it's the same for a whole bunch of new sectors that are coming up. And, you know, it's not about, you know, centrally planning an economy so you can tell a bunch of blokes they're walking out of a pit on Friday Arvo and starting in a battery factory on Monday. It's not how the world works, but there are better ways to be able to try and coordinate how these things happen, how the training pipeline works, how, how we attract investment. There are things that we could be doing that we're not. There's green shoots, absolutely, and I think the way a bunch of regional stakeholders in the community are getting to grips with us is setting us up and, and ready to go, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I agree. I think the Hunter Jobs Alliance is a really good step forward, something that will hopefully uh, help with that coordination piece. There is also that the added issue around the three levels of government, the structural, the political climate that we operate in in Australia, particularly around the issue of climate change and diversification. It all actually contributes to the situation that we've all described. And it does. Go, it takes a lot of people moving in the same direction to actually achieve that. And you know, one or two dropping off the sides actually makes a huge difference. And there's, they're always incentivized in some different way to drop off the sides, if you know what I mean. Particularly in that political environment, and that I think is what has undone 
a lot of different initiatives over the years to try and get everyone moving in the same direction. I think now what's changed internationally is time's up. Yes, I would agree with that. Our experience down at the point is it doesn't matter anymore, really, politically, uh, <laughs> he says, with I, his yeah. background. But it doesn't matter politically because the financiers, global financiers, banks, private equity, insurance, they've made their mind up. Yes. And the world is getting much smaller when it comes to that. The, your, your ability to fund business that isn't diversifying is just const- it's just constricting every month. And... No politician's going to make that decision. If you can't raise your money or you can't get insurance, you're not running a business. It's such a shame there's been a dearth of leadership, really, in this country on, on these issues because we could have been ready to go right now. But given that, it's good that the Port of Newcastle, the Hunter Jobs Alliance, different community groups, local government are really on board in this region to help push us along to get the change that not only is coming, but also harness all the opportunities that are available to us in the region from that change. It's like, Jesus, this is going to be tortured. I've got a metaphor swimming around in my Mm. head, so it might be ugly. But, you know, so you can see the... The sort of trickle of change that we've been seeing for a number of years has just turned into this this huge flood, and it's like there's a there's a set of boats that are lined up to to race, but you got to be paddling like buggery to get there. And as soon as somebody drops anchor, then everybody gets tipped out, and you see Region X or another country mm-hmm. pushing ahead and grabbing those opportunities and saying, you know, the the world isn't moving, and you know we we don't have to worry about dealing with it. You know, that's just going to cause us dramas down the track. It's not, you know, it's it's not like there's people in wine bars or coffee shops somewhere who are, you know, rocking up and saying, this is what you're going to do for a job in the Hunter Valley. It's not what's happening. It's the world changing and, and we've got to get to grips with it and, and make it as smooth as possible. Absolutely. I work to the, the, the future generations to come here in Newcastle and the Hunter. Do you have a timeline on when you think you might be able to get the issues with the port's container terminal unpicked? Yep. Next year. That's fantastic. So... 20 it's almost next year 2022 next year so i took this job and i said to the board i get it sorted in three years three years runs out at the end of this year so bugger that i missed it i hope you didn't i hope you didn't have in in your kpi for your review from the board let's see how i go in december next year I, i i do believe with the changes at the top in new south wales I mean, look, not putting too fine a point on it. Everybody who was involved in that deal no longer works in government. The last one just left. That's right. And I am hopeful now that common sense will prevail. And if somebody wants to spend $2 billion of private money in a region at risk, the New South Wales government might actually want to support that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point. What do you want to achieve with the 100 Jobs Alliance over the coming 12 months, Warwick? Yeah, look, so the, you know, the things that we really focus on is let's build our capacity as a region to be able to get prepared and so we we try and break that down into what's our coordination capacity how do we put all the pieces together how do we get that bucket of funding that is durable and specifically allocated to this purpose so they're real priorities for us what's the coordination body like we we know there's different views on what that looks like but essentially you need someone who is in charge of trying to get us through this situation and has some responsibility for doing specific actions a real priority for us um, certainly getting that that funding in the door that's durable and lasting and we think there's a real place for the kind of support that that we need to see for some of our big industrial and manufacturing players tomago aluminium 
Dragons a perfect example, right? They're, they're out front leading, trying to deal with a difficult technical reality about the entry of renewables into the system and how you run a smelter that uh, is set up to do something quite differently and they've put a flag on the, in the ground and said we're going to try and get there and do that and so priority for us is working out what the role of the community and other actors particularly government is to, to back that in so that's that's what we're looking at for this year as far as the other things we're up to we, we just want to keep trying to lead the debate and be really specific about what these structural change or transition actions are, try and get a conversation sparked, talk to the community and make sure the community feedback's put on in there and uh, try and do all that without um, having too, too much polarisation, trying to make an inclusive conversation. You say it and you make it sound easy, Warwick, but I know that's a very difficult <laughs> job ahead of you. And there's plenty of us here in Newcastle and the Hunter that are supporting you in your work. And thank you for it, as well as the ETU and the AMWU. And at the same time, recognise the leadership under Craig at the Port of Newcastle, the, the significant sustainability actions the Port are taking and the work that has gone into actually being able to lay a platform to allow the import side of your business to balance the ledger, a container terminal here in Newcastle and the Hunter will be a game changer for the region. So always very supportive of your work. Thank you both. Thank you, Lord Mayor. Pleasure. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 